Welcome to Careers in Crescendo Lessons for Musicians. I'm your host, Jeff Dunn. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Ben Jelensky, a current Eastman student pursuing a master's degree in trombone performance and literature. Ben is one of the founders of the Sacred Heart Chamber Music Summit and won an IML mentorship grant to support the creation of this program for young musicians. We're joined by his co-founder, John Impolato, and I think you'll enjoy the story about how these two musicians created a program all their own and are making a difference within a community. Enjoy the show. Ben and John, thank you so much for joining me today. Just for our listeners who may not be familiar with you, uh, Ben, would you mind introducing yourself? Be happy to. My name is Ben Jelinski. I'm a second year master's based trombone performance major here at Eastman. And Jonam Pilato? <laughs> and my name is Jonam. I am a first year master's student at NYU for screen scoring, but I um, completed my undergrad at Oberlin um, for violent performance. And that's how I know Ben. How did you two first meet? So um, this will all come to fruition later. But um, so actually, the place that we held our summit is actually where we first met. So uh, we're both Catholic. And um, so it was like the first week of orientation, whatever. There's this Catholic church in town. It's kind of a small town, Oberlin is. So we both walked to the church and we're both you know, musically inclined. And so we both at home, at our home parishes played in our respective um, home parishes. We performed with the church choir and things like that. And so afterwards, we both went up to the the music director at the time and introduced ourselves and everything like that. And the rest is history. We started playing at this church. It's kind of how we uh, built our relationship and the relationship with the church. And uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit more about just that, that uh, you know, how the relationship with the church evolved over the, the years that you were in Oberlin. It definitely brought us a lot closer. Um, we're only part of like a friend group, of like four or five other guys who also played at Sacred Heart after a while. And it got to the point where we got really close to the congregation. We got really close to the music director there, um, our friend Carl Lee, as well as the pastor there, Father um, David Trask. And it just really felt like a, you know, a small family away from home. There are times where we would have Easter um, lunch together. And it was just fun because we're just grilling with the priest, you know, just talking about things that are, you know, not religious, not in a bad way, of course, but, you know, just things that everything under the sun that just makes these people just feel more um, like humans. I feel like sometimes at church, you know, when you see a priest or when you see a music director, there's a sense of distance. Um, but honestly, after playing with each other for um, about four, even five years now um, with Ben and me, um, it's just been a really um, close spot. It certainly seems like um, there's a lot of fulfillment there, not on a musical level, but as you cite on a human level, the need for community. Now, it's great for us as musicians, of course, to, to have some thoughtful connections to the community. But it sounds like as just undergraduates in this new location over those those couple of years of your study, it, it gave you a lot more fulfillment than even just the musical um, uh, qualities. Ben, if I remember correctly, uh, you're originally from Wisconsin. Is that correct? That is correct. And John, you're originally from Louisiana. Yes, sir. So Oberlin was, uh, you know, a, a not not a home location or a, a you know a, a base location for you, as it were. Uh, and it sounds like maybe this church offered you some of that, um, which is wonderful. And if I remember correctly, the uh, even just a predecessor to your chamber music summit is there was a, a concert series at this church. Is that correct? 
Yeah, there was. Our colleague Simon Hausner kind of started it as a way to connect conservatory musicians with the community. As we talked about, we had this um, kind of relationship brewing with the um, with the congregation. You know, they loved us playing every Sunday. And whenever we come back, they're like, oh, it's so nice to have you. Like, it's really enjoy us being there. So that's kind of kind of got started. And so we wanted more students to kind of develop that relationship with the, just the town of Oberlin. So we did all sorts of concerts. I led a few. Uh, Simon and John did a ton more. Um, we've done everything from improv concerts to string quartets to brass ensemble, everything under the sun. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, like you said, the predecessor to our project. Yeah. And it really came through, I think our breakthrough year per se was during COVID, because at the time of fall 2022, um, there were no audiences in person allowed. And so in a weird caveat way, our concert series was the only way that we could harbor that sense of a, you know, a connection that we haven't had before COVID, you know, having that audience um, performance um, relationship. And I remember that first concert that Simon held, you know, obviously everything was social distanced and whatnot, but, you know, in terms of capacity at the time, it was almost packed. So as packed as COVID can be, um, but it was just really fulfilling to see that live music is still um, an important necessity in people's lives. And even COVID can't stop that. So how did we get from those kinds of connections and engagement over to the Chamber Music Summit? What were some of the impetus and ideas for starting this program? For me, I'll take a step back. I kind of got the idea from, um, I attended the Atlantic Brass Quintet seminar a few summers past, and I had a great time, a lot of great players, and got to work with the Atlantic Brass Quintet. And I really took note to how they ran things. I really thought they ran it quite well. And so I remember leaving that seminar. I was like, you know, it'd be kind of cool to do something like this on our own. Um, So then that next year we're graduating and just thinking of ways to kind of continue staying connected with the, the community that gave so much to us. And it was almost a way of giving back to what was given to us by that community. And uh, through all those kind of factors is kind of where the Chamber Music Summit was born. So tell us a little bit more about this specific focus. Why chamber music? Why this demographic of young people that you were looking to uh, engage in the program? In terms of my, to save a step back as well, my background in terms of teaching has also been chamber music. I've done a lot of work um, teaching mainly elementary and middle school kids um, through summer chamber music programs. Um, there's a local Suzuki uh, school uh, in my hometown. And so a lot of those kids I've worked with and know them. And if I may speak um, for Ben and me, you know, we always wanted to share that joy of chamber music to other people, especially toward middle school and high schoolers, um, because uh, for band kids, um, they don't really have to experience that much. Um, especially in Northern Ohio, there is a big um, push for marching bands and symphonic bands, which is not a bad thing at all, but we just wanted to offer something more to the table. Yeah, and going off of that, um, because there wasn't really offered in the schools, and even uh, we, John and I did this program called the Northern Ohio Youth Orchestra, where we uh, guest taught. Um, that's how we kind of got some of our connections for students. We'll get there in a little bit. But um, even there, there wasn't a ton. It was more large ensemble focus. There was a little bit of chamber music happening, but not. it was like a postseason extension. So it's like if they wanted to, they could stay a month and do a concert of chamber music. So there wasn't a ton. And we just 
thought that this would be a unique offering and um, just the benefits of chamber music, you know, listening to others, teamwork, ownership of one's part would not only benefit their band programs, it would just make them better people. Those skills are transferable in and out of the practice room. And if I may um, add even more, like I feel like through the chamber program that we had at Sacred Heart in a way that made us such a good candidates, you know, at least to breathe chamber music to other people's lives and it brought us closer together i mean because we learned more about each other through music and i I guess in a way you know we want to share that with those kids what you both hit on is so interesting because you talk very well about some of that very personal mission right that you have a clear focus here it's very meaningful to you i'm sure that drives you very much in making this happen but from that other side of it too you cite how what you're offering young musicians is unique from the area, right? And unique from other offerings in the area and that it's very chamber music specific, whereas that's kind of lacking in other offerings, right? It it sounds like on some level, you did that market research to know in that area that, hey, this is lacking. We actually have a real opportunity here, right? Something interesting for us as musicians to think about both being very mission-driven and trying to make something happen that's very meaningful and we value, but at the same time, there's a clear need, there's a clear gap in perhaps offerings, and we have that opportunity to, to bring that to the table. So as you went through this process in starting to think about it, to planning out your summer recruitment, those sorts of things, what are some of the challenges that you faced? For me, just initially, just some of the things to think about where it was like taxes and business structure and insurance, like oh, we were going into it. And we just wanted to teach music. We had no idea that we'd have to think about any of that stuff. So I was certainly a surprise. <laughs> and something else, too, early on was kind of figuring out what that target audience was going to be, because, you know, I've got my brass background and John's got the string composition background. So just trying to figure out what our target audience was going to be, which direction do we go? Do we take everybody in? Are we more specialized? So that was certainly something we had to figure out. And doing that competitive market research, as you talked about, kind of helped us to focus that in a little bit and show us where we would best serve. Yeah. And obviously, even though you know we've been to Sacred Heart, you know, we have to give credit to Sacred Heart for being such um, willing sponsors for our chamber group. I mean, they always were from the beginning. I mean, uh, Father Trask and Carl were always very willing to provide their services. Um, even, you know, for educational things like this, it's always good to always have that support. Tell our listeners here who maybe aren't super familiar now with the the Sacred Heart Chamber Music Summit, and you're you're telling us all about it. Where did some of these challenges lead you? Where did you end up in some of that decision-making? Well, something helpful that was for me... Well, first of all, our mentorship sessions, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get to later. But um, something else that was really helpful, too, was uh, I took this class here at Eastman called Entrepreneurial Thinking with Professor Dozier. And it was just so helpful. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, uh, the premise of the class is you come in with an idea and the class walks you through how to take that idea and make it a feasible thing that you can go do. So he walks you through business structure and marketing and budgeting. And by the end, you have a pitch and a business plan that you can go implement. So thinking about these things as we were writing our grant was so helpful. I'd like to argue, I think that's one of the reasons maybe why we maybe got the grant because, you know, the intention was there, but to be able to think about it in that strategic way, I think um, was very helpful and gave us that edge. So was your Chamber Music Summit the project that you engaged with during that class? No, it was not. <laughs> Maybe it would have been helpful, but um, 
we kind of needed like the grant and stuff a little sooner than that. So I went with a different project, but. Got it. I, I trust on some level, though, those um, theories, philosophy, skills, ideas that you were working on still transferred and gave you uh, a good groundwork to work with. Oh, 100%. Yeah, great. So, you know, Ben, you also mentioned um, trying to figure out, boy, w- what audience is this really for, right? And kind of maybe narrowing the scope, finding a niche to find success. What did you end up deciding on? Yeah, so bringing it back to the Northern Ohio Youth Orchestra that we worked with, and we also had a connection. There's a lot of high school band students that came into Sacred Heart for Christmas and Easter. They'd perform. Uh, So we saw there's quite a bit of um, potential and certainly like motivation to do music. I mean, if they're coming in and doing these programs and coming in on a Saturday to play at a church, there's certainly that motivation there. Um, But just not maybe the the opportunities there that John and I had to uh, pull out that, that potential, certainly not in the summers. So we saw a opportunity right there. And uh, we went with more winds brass focused um, because as we talked about in the band programs, there is more of that focus on marching band, large ensembles, that kind of thing. And we looked at other programs in the area. There was a string camp, but that's just the thing. It was for strings is more for, out-of-state people. I think it was a recruitment for uh, Oberlin. So I think we had a lot of people in the area and a specific instrument that we could pull from. So that's why we went the direction that we did. And going in that direction, John, tell us a little bit about what your experience was like running this program, working at this program for kind of more of those band folks as a violinist. It was very interesting. I think the first day I walked in, they saw me holding a violin and I'm just like, like it's kind of like they kind of give me the benefit of the doubt it's like they he can't you know he doesn't know how to buzz um a brass instrument at all um but for them i think it was really cool for them to see that there's lots of similarities in terms of playing chamber music that goes beyond just the physicalities of your instrument and so there were a lot of moments learning moments for me where in terms of breathing like obviously for brass players that's a necessity um but for me like i take for granted because i breathe whenever i want and so it's it's one of those things that you're always adapting you're always being willing to change your perspective um, for the other students so that they can succeed and i think they really enjoyed having that challenge too of like picking my brain and just like oh well if he can't play a brass instrument like how do i tell him you know like like I can't play this because of this thing or that thing. And to be fair, Ben's been really helpful in terms of giving me kind of spark notes on, you know, little brass techniques. Just like, look, you know, there's still <laughs> only middle schoolers, um, even someone's like in fourth or fifth grade. And so you have to be, you know, there's some things that they can't do that you have to be patient with. And so, yeah, it's been a really cool experience to just be on that other side or outside my comfort zone. Looking to gain experience in the Rochester area? Visit the IML's Gig Service and Job Opportunities Board. Find freelance opportunities on the Gig Service and explore local part-time and full-time jobs on the Job and Opportunities Board. Head over to the IML website to get paid. For more information, visit us at the IML office or email us at iml at esm.rochester.edu. 
there's a lot we can learn from doing that. And it sounds like, first of all, you, you bring that um, perspective we need of being open-minded and good listeners and good learners ourselves, but also on some level, we can still teach music, right? And as musicians, um, there is certainly some commonality. For sure. For sure. Yeah. To add on to that a little bit, bringing it back to the Atlantic Brass Quintet seminar that I did, one of the cool things that I liked is that, you know, some chamber music camps, you have the same coach the whole time. There, you flip-flopped coaches, you rotated, so you got to work with everybody in the group. It's like as a trombone player, what is it like to work with a trumpet player, a horn player, to get that perspective? And here we had even more of an extreme. What can a brass player learn from a violinist? I certainly think there's merit to uh, playing for people that don't play your instrument, you know, because when you play for like a brass instrument, for example, you know, they know how hard the instrument is and things like that. Like they just know those things. A violinist doesn't necessarily know those things. So they'll point things out that maybe I would overlook. So I think having that perspective was really helpful. You're right that we all bring unique perspectives and how great that is for young people. I'll tell my own anecdote and just digress here for a moment. But when I, uh, about 10 years ago, working for the New York State Summer School for the Arts, the School of Orchestral Studies, and doing a chamber music coaching with a quartet of bassists. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of subbing in for a moment there with them, you know, the lowly trombonist, what do I have to know? But they were working on the Beethoven dry quali, right? Originally for trombone quartet, just transcribed for bass. And of course, these young people are looking at a bunch of whole notes, not really engaged about it, but we talked about that piece and the intention and some of the history. And I'll never forget one of the bassists saying to me, you were the first teacher that was excited about this music and how meaningful that was to them because, you know, I, at least I was not going to talk to them about bow holds, but I could bring some enthusiasm about that Beethoven quartet. So you are absolutely right that sometimes that that varying perspective, um, we can bring that to the table and that's really valuable for young people. So on that topic of young people, tell us a little bit about your experience um, working with them. What were some of the challenges and successes that you experienced throughout that week? Well, it was, I think, speak for the both of us, it was certainly a learning curve, you know, coming from that conservatory background, there's a lot of things that we just don't think about anymore, it becomes second nature. But for students that maybe don't have that same mileage on the horn, they're still in that learning process, those things don't come second nature. So we really had to work on those things. And some uh, challenges that we had, um, first of all, None of them had any chamber music experience. So they're coming from band programs where they maybe had, you know, eight trumpets and five trombones and six horns, you know, here you're one on a part. There has to be that ownership. So that was certainly a learning curve for our students. And another thing was the pace of the program. You know, a lot of times they have two, three months to put together a program in their bands. Here we had five days. So it was, it was a steep learning curve, but, um, once you heard that end of the uh, week concert, everything just kind of came together and, um, you know, they want us back next year. So we must have done something right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it was really fun to see their progression um, because they admitted that just like, you know, some of the stuff is just for them. Like they didn't think they could do and to see them like take it with pride and, you know, still be willing every day to come in. You know, it just really speaks to their character. Um, and their musicianship that they still want to strive and learn more. And, you know, like Ben said, it was a learning curve for both of us. There were sometimes it was hard to be, you know, models in terms of being enthusiastic about the work that we do. But the thing is, I feel like our persistence is what kept them going too. You know, it was just Ben and me leading the program. And so that sense of truly personal mentorship, I think 
inspired us, but also inspired them, you know, to just become better musicians and just to come in every day. It was just, I mean, like Ben said, they want us to come back. We must have did something right. But even then, you know, they they were really enthusiastic about, you know, just wanting to play more music after. I mean, they were talking about they have marching band training, you know, before school starts anyway. But I remember them saying that, you know, they learned so much from this program that, you know, it will make their training um, period a lot easier. That's certainly some of the things that we can uh, always bear in mind about working with young musicians is that the sky is the limit. If we set those expectations, you know, high, they can achieve it. We just need to uh, set it there and and kind of, you know, give them the tools and skills they need to succeed. And it certainly sounds like you did that by the end of the week and achieved a, a wonderful performance. You, you both talked about how the church wants you back to be able to do this again next summer. Tell us a little bit about that, about engaging with the church community, having their support in making this happen. What made that all so successful? I think it's amazing, even after we've graduated, how we're still part of the family, so to speak. They're still, even after we're not students at Oberlin anymore, they still want to invest in us and uh, continue to, to be there for us. I just think it's amazing to maintain that relationship. Um, some key ways that they really supported us was, first of all, the location. I mean, that's like the biggest thing. And so the fact that we had the facilities to use, that was huge. Uh, so that worked out really nice. And then some one of our other kind of big ticket items on our budget, so to speak, was uh, we want to have a reception after the concert to kind of celebrate the week and everything like that. And so I was talking to the pastor and I was like, hey, you know, we want to have a end of the week reception with some food. Do you know anybody in town that cooks or maybe uh, like a restaurant and give us a deal or something like that? And he goes, actually, there's this lady that cooks for parish events and uh, for funeral luncheons. Maybe she could do something for you. So I got in the horn with her and sure enough, she was able to put something together. So just the way that the the community just comes together and, and gets stuff done. And also just the, the support, you know, as we said, as we provided the concerts with our concert series, there is that hunger for, for live music. And they certainly was, there was an excitement from the community to, to do this as well. Yeah. Speaking of hunger, um, Ben and I were living together with the pastor and one of the fun things about the camp was just hanging out, you know, just catching up as friends and like we would cook um, for each other. And there was a time that a parishioner came by and she was just, you know, walking around and she was like, oh, I heard that y'all are back in town. And so the next day she came back with a bag of vegetables <laughs> and it's like, usually I don't give this to father because he doesn't like vegetables, but since y'all are here... Um, so we had like cucumbers, um, Ben um, grilled some corn and, you know, again, it's just those little gifts, you know, that the parishioners give us just makes a world of a difference for us. I think it's worth pointing out here how long the relationship uh, was building between you both and the church before you did the summit. So just remind us here, what year did you both start attending Oberlin and start attending this church? 2018. Yeah, it's worth stating that you began building this relationship very thoughtfully in 2018. And of course, for, for many, many great mutual benefits, but it took until 2023 to run the Chamber Music Summit, right? And I think for a lot of us musicians, we are constantly inspired and have ideas about possible ways that we can make the world a better place and share music. But it it's worth noting how wonderful the relationship was, but do well in part to the fact that it was a five-year-long relationship and it was not something that you were asking or expecting of that community with very short notice by any means. Yeah, yeah, it came pretty naturally, to be fair. I mean, when we were just going to Oberlin, you know, we're still figuring ourselves out. 
And so there's that sense of responsibility for us, you know, to become better people first before we give, you know, even though we've been playing in church ever since we were freshmen, the ideas that we had all came naturally. I know for Simon with his Sacred Heart concert series, that came in just one year after playing. And so it's one of those things like it just takes time to build those relationships too. And, you know, and when it happens naturally, that's when um, I feel like success is the most um, opportune. So Ben, I'm going to pivot over to you. Since you were the one as an Eastman student who applied for the IML mentorship grant, secured that funding to support this program, could you just tell us a little bit about um, how you got that idea to apply for the grant, what what that experience was like, what what your experience was like working with the folks at the IML through this process? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when I got here, I still had that seed in my mind of potentially doing this someday. And then I saw that there's this grant available. I was like, you know what? I think the thing it's the time to try this. You know, is I saw that they funded kind of similar projects to what we were doing. They're doing all sorts of cool stuff, like recording albums and doing music projects in Hawaii, all sorts of cool stuff. I was like, you know what? Maybe we got a shot. So got on the horn with John and talked about it, and uh, we started to put together uh, grant materials. And just having that mentorship piece was so helpful. Um, thinking about the things like insurance and business structure and, hey, do you guys think you should have a liability form? Like those things I would never think about. Just having that guidance was so formative. Um, also from a person that has done something similar to what we're doing, it was very just beneficial advice to receive. And is also inspiring um, to have other students working on projects as well to kind of have that cohort of uh, people doing awesome things. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that you had a beneficial experience, Ben, and other students and listeners who are interested in this. You know, we totally, I think from the IML perspective, want to see student projects succeed. We are open-minded about what could be funded, right? These are all student-led creative projects that go go beyond the scope of your degree requirements. And we do have a list of previous winners on the IML website where you might get some ideas about what has been funded in the past and kind of check out other mentorship grant uh, projects that have been successful. Those who are funded do have that opportunity to have that group session together, learn from each other, share ideas about their projects, and then get that individual mentorship as well. So we are always, always so glad to see students fulfill their their ideas and make their projects uh, a reality and success. So tell us a little bit about what's next for the Sacred Heart Chamber Music Summit. What does next year start to look like? Well, it is our intent to keep it going. There is certainly that excitement for us to be back. Uh, we're just looking at resources and ways to kind of grow and best serve our students. Uh, so once we look at those things, uh, we'll go from there to what direction we want to go in. Yeah, I think a, a good learning moment for us was realizing that, you know, we there is a crowd for it. We just need to make sure that we reach out to as many people as we can. So I think Ben remind me, I think we started working on the inaugural year, like around the spring semester. Mm-hmm. Um I mean we've been formulating ideas during like the winter time and stuff. But I think this year we're gonna um once school starts in session this fall, we're gonna go ahead and get the ball rolling terms of figuring out how to reach out to all these people, make it a basically some sort of event. And hopefully word of mouth from those five um, students that we had will just make the festival even better than it has been. It is always great when we can plan longer term and have more time to be thoughtful and deliberate and yeah, build on, on past success. So for those musicians out there that have similar ideas, want to engage in their communities and in ways that maybe 
look similar to the Chamber Music Summit or perhaps just slightly different, what recommendations would you have for them? The great words of Nike, just do it. If you're waiting for, you know, the the plants to align or that perfect moment, today is the perfect moment. So if you're listening and you're thinking about doing something, this is your sign to go start working on your thing. You know, when we started this, we had no idea what we were doing. We just learned as we went. And sure, we made mistakes, but we learned a lot from it. That's the best way to learn is just get your hands dirty and jump in and um, also lean on your resources. There's people that want to help you. So don't be afraid to ask and uh, lean on the resources. People do want to help you and be there for you. I think community is also a very understated but very important aspect of it too. Obviously, Sacred Heart it's been really big help, but also with Eastman and like you know we had other friends that give us advice into how we can teach and how we can facilitate this program, and so always being unbashful to reach out to people and just like Ben said to rely on your resources, but also not to set yourself with too many expectations. I mean, obviously you want this um, festival to succeed, um, but we learned so many things along the way. And even if we weren't successful the first year, like I'm glad it was successful the first year, but even then, you know, even if we wasn't a success, we learned so many things that we could apply to next year's summit or even to our own lives. My model for it was launch now, adjust later. I think it's just a good thing. Just jump in and you'll learn things along the way. It's the best education. I would agree with that. We can always be more successful with future iterations. Um, and as you both cite, musicians are better together. We have a lot to learn from each other and we can make things happen when we work together. Thank you both for sharing your time and your story with us. Ben Jelensky, thank you for sharing your project with the world and your idea. And we wish you the very best in your continued studies here at Eastman. John and Pilato, very best of luck to you at NYU. We thank you for all of your work and ideas in bringing this Chamber Music Summit to life. I know the young people in the community appreciate it. And we look forward to hearing about your future success. Thank you so much for having us and for all your mentorship. Thank you, Jeff. Today's episode of Careers in Crescendo, Lessons for Musicians, was produced by Kelly Jetson. The music was written and produced by Will Jay, and the artwork designed by Joyce Seng. As always, if you have questions, comments, or ideas for episodes, please contact us via our website at iml.esm.rochester.edu. If you like this episode, share it with your friends and colleagues and leave us a review on your preferred streaming platform. This podcast is a production of the Institute for Music Leadership at the Eastman School of Music. The views expressed in the podcast are the interviewees and do not represent the Eastman School of Music or the Institute for Music Leadership. From the IML, I'm Jeff Dunn. See you next time.